Welcome back to the New Mexico Rising podcast. This is your host, Amanda Aragon, Executive Director of New Mexico Kids Can. New Mexico Kids Can is an education advocacy nonprofit that works to improve New Mexico's education system to ensure that every student in the land of enchantment has access to an educational experience that prepares them to reach their full potential. Our goal for New Mexico Rising is to engage with New Mexico stakeholders in a new way by allowing them to hear and dig deeper into inspiring education stories. All across our state, incredible leaders, educators, and parents are working to improve our education system, and this podcast will feature their stories. Each episode will feature an interview with someone leading great work in New Mexico's education system. Consider this podcast a work in progress. We'll improve as we go along and would love to hear your feedback along the way. Our goal is to host semesters, kind of how some podcasts do seasons. We'll do one semester in the spring and one in the fall with a break in the summer in between. We decided to release our first two episodes before the official launch of semester one in January to give you a taste of what's to come. We hope you'll download our episodes and listen to them during your holiday travels or during your daily commute. Okay, now we've gotten all of that out of the way. Let's get started. I'm so excited to introduce you to today's guest, Yasin Armstrong. Yasin has an incredible array of professional experiences, including working for former Governor Bill Richardson to co-launching her own company, Baby Page. Yasin was born in Carbondale, Illinois. She has a bachelor's degree in communications in political science from Truman State University and a master's degree in communications from the University of New Mexico. I guess I should say, go Lobos. <laughs> she has three children and resides with her family in Roswell, New Mexico, where she is very active in the community. For the purposes of today's conversation, we are most excited to talk with Yasin about one of her many volunteer positions, serving as chair for, uh, co-chair for Sydney Gutierrez Charter School. Yasin, welcome to New Mexico Rising. Thank you so much, Amanda. I'm thrilled to be here. And thank you so much for all you do with New Mexico Kids Can. You guys are really making a difference in New Mexico, and I think that that really matters. Well, I appreciate it. And I know a lot of our work is collaborative and super excited to talk a little bit more about charter schools today and more about Sydney Gutierrez. So let's start there. What is Sydney Gutierrez Charter School and what should people know about it? So Sydney Gutierrez Charter School is a K-8 through charter school based in Roswell, New Mexico. So Sydney, I have to say, and I'm going to brag on it a little bit, has had amazing results over its last 20 years of existence. Um, we are in the 77% percentile for ELA for pro- proficiency, meaning 77% of our students are above the state proficiency for English language arts. We are 73% for our math proficiency and 70% in science proficiency. Now, Amanda, I don't know how much you've shared with your listeners about the state proficiencies, but we're generally 30 to 40 percentage points higher than the state. So it's something that we take a lot of pride in, and we, pro- we really focus on academic performance at Sydney Gutierrez. The exciting thing about Sydney is that it's been in existence for almost 20 years, um, and for the last two years, we, it was a 6th, 7th, and 8th grade middle school. And then um, we expanded down to be kindergarten through eighth grade um, during the pandemic. So we opened our elementary school during the pandemic. And let me tell you, it was an exciting time for the school and also really, really challenging time for education. Yeah. So hard enough alone, much less opening a new 
section of your school during well, the pandemic. That's right. And we started out that first year of our elementary school when I mean, we did half the year online. And that was really challenging, both for our teachers who were incredible and for our students. I will say on that point, we did um, our online learning a little bit differently. We had our teachers engaging with our students um, one to three hours on the Zoom, but then we actually sent home weekly packets for parents to do at home with their kids that were all project-based learning, which is one of the key, key areas for Sydney. And we had most weeks 100% packet packet pickup from our parents, which is pretty much unheard of. That's amazing. And I think speaks to what it takes to – we hear this a lot, right? We need more engagement from parents and families, and oftentimes – we don't see that expectation met with support from the school. And I think Sydney is a place that really fosters those family relationships so that when things are chaotic, you're not building relationship as you go. You already have those relationships with your students and families that enables that 100% packet return. That's I think that's exactly right. And that's what we did. So I will say that it's been interesting to watch the school grow because it was a very successful middle school. And we really looked at the community. Um, I'm as the, the vice chair of our governing council. Um, we looked at the community and our community was asking for more educational options for our students. Roswell is a community that has some good private school options, but we're also a very high poverty community. And what I saw is that we really needed a good public education option for elementary school. Given the success of the middle school, what we decided to do was really translate what they had done in the middle school down into the elementary grades. So Sydney's a STEAM focus, which is science, technology, engineering, arts, and math focused school. Um, and we really inter integrate STEAM throughout across the curriculum. So we're doing STEAM learning while we're doing English language arts, while we're doing our science, while we're doing our math, it's really an integrated curriculum. Um, and what that does is that really allows our teachers to dive into subjects with their students across you know, multi, a, multi, a multidisciplinary approach to, to learning. And for us at Sydney, we found that that's how kids make the greatest connections with the information that they're interacting with. Yeah. I mean, and I think just to go back, I've had the privilege of visiting Sydney. I mm -hmm. thought it was incredible before the elementary school opened. Mm -hmm. um, these results that you said, again, 77% of kids being proficient in, in English language arts, 73% in math, 70% in science. I just want to reiterate what you said, which these are triple the state average mm -hmm. where we're closer to really 25% and 30%. And I think that's really important because as everyone heard in the intro, what we want to highlight on this podcast in particular is the good things that are happening in New Mexico's education system, not just for the sake of saying, wow, great job, but so that more people know we can do this. There are places in New Mexico where incredible things are happening. And if we don't know about those things and we don't know that they're possible, then it's harder for us to ask for them. So um, I just want to thank you and all of the staff and everyone at Sydney for being a beacon of example of hope of what is possible for our kids, because I think it's super important. Thanks. I mean, I think one of the reasons that Sydney has been so successful for so long is we have fantastic leadership, and I think so much of it starts there. So we have a, a principal who was the co-founder of the middle school. Um, his name is Joe Andreas, and he's done an amazing job leading the school through, you know, 18 years of the middle school and then, you know, the last couple of years with the elementary school. But one of the things that Joe fully believes in is he believes that uh, teachers are true professionals. And so he invites them to really teach their kids however they want to teach their kids and meet their kids exactly where they're at. So we don't have a prescribed curriculum for any of 
our classes for any of our teachers. Um, teachers are allowed to explore and try and do new things all the time that really meet the needs of their individual students and the, each individual class. Because what one third grade class knows might be different than what another third grade class knows, right? And that collective knowledge that they come into the class with, the teacher has the opportunity and is given the support to meet those kids exactly where they're at. So they're real, it's really individualized instruction in a unique way, which I think is why you see results as high as they are. But our teachers are encouraged to do that, and they're given full autonomy in their classroom to pick the resources that best help their kids, pick the curriculum that they want to work with, pick the – we just um, – um, opened a new Steam Lab, which is a makerspace with everything from robots to drones. And I'm watching the teachers take those resources and, and incorporate it into their curriculum they're already using in the classroom. I mean, and that's the freedom when you believe that your teachers are true professionals that the leadership of our school gives our teachers to really just do what they do best, which is teach their children. Well, and I think on that note, knowing Joe and knowing the governing board, you are in creating an environment that is super supportive of those educators, mm -hmm. but also with really high standards. Right. You know, I think there, the conversation would be different if the results weren't coming. You guys would have conversations about like, okay, what do we need to change? What do we need to do differently? Mm -hmm. So you have, which I think we'll, we'll talk more about charter schools in general soon, but I think this match of, yes, autonomy, but also high expectations and support along the way to make sure that you're getting to the end result. Because I think a lot of schools candidly say, oh, yeah, our teachers have autonomy and they don't have the results that Sydney has. Right. So there's something extra that you guys are doing. And I think it's this kind of idea of we know what's possible mm -hmm. and that's what we expect. No, I thank you. Thanks for pointing that out because I think that is really important. And the funniest thing is, you know, we get these test results and I will tell you the first thing that the governing council is doing, the first thing that our head of school is doing is digging into them and seeing where we missed the mark. Where didn't we get the highest marks? Mm -hmm. You know, where we, we could be higher in science. So what do we need to work on? And frankly, that's what our teachers look at. And that's what our teachers care about. And they look at Again, each class and say, okay, so clearly this concept wasn't understood by the whole class. So how can I make that up next year? And that is the beauty of, I think, the charter environment, particularly where we have the same kids pretty much now, hopefully, you know, K through eight. So we can really make sure that they are receiving all of the standards in each of the grades. So by the time they, go, they graduate from our school in eighth grade, they are really a well-educated child. And that's the whole, really the method behind the way Sydney approaches education is we look at our results and then we strive for better. Well, and I really appreciate, you know, this conversation around um, measurements of success. And certainly I think you and I both believe, as you mentioned, the governing council and your school leader, that assessments are an important measure. Mm -hmm. Not the only one, but an important one. And so I'd like to shift a little bit into your role as a mom. Mm -hmm. Like, why do you think those matter? Not just as a governing board, vice chair, overviewing the performance of a school, but when you get your kids' test results, like, what does that mean to you? Why do you think that's important? And why do you think this is a really important part of the conversation that we can't just say, uh, those test scores, they don't show us everything. So for me, I mean, this is what I tell my kids when they go and take the test. I said, look, the test is just showing us what we still need to learn, right? And so when we have a measure that shows us what we still need to learn, and yet we're not refocusing the curriculum or our teaching methods to help this help kids learn what they're missing, then that's a real problem. So that's how I look at my kids' test, test scores. Frankly, you know, I am have been pushing for, and I think New Mexico really needs to think about, I mean, we 
it's one thing to be compared to other students just in New Mexico. It's another thing to be compared to students nationwide because we want our children to be able to compete nationwide and, frankly, with anyone in the world. And so to me, that's just what I, the way I look at test scores and the way I think Sydney looks at test scores is we say, okay, clearly there are concepts our students are missing. So let's focus on making sure that we teach them those again because we missed them the first time. Yep. And that, to me, is why assessment's so important. And again, I don't ever put pressure on my kids. You know, you need to, like, do well in this test. It's more just like, hey, this is going to give us an idea of what we still need to work on. That's it. Well, and I love, you know, I'm thinking back to that visit in Sydney. And that that ownership at the adult level of it is our responsibility to ensure that our students are getting exposed to all of the standards and get to content mastery so they can demonstrate that. That's an adult decision that we're making. And I think that's important when we're talking about assessments, right? It's, it's not to punish the kid or to make them feel bad about what they know or don't know, but rather to say, as a system, are we set up and doing the right things to make sure our children are on grade level so that they can accomplish whatever it is that they want to accomplish. Well, that's exactly right. I have two, I have twins and they're in third grade, right? And so, you know, they're working on mastering multiplication. They're working, they're starting to work on division, right? And the way I explain it to them is like, look, you have to understand this now because what you're going to learn next year is going to build on that, right? Mm -hmm. And if they miss that critical piece and the test come back and demonstrate to us that we missed that, right? Then our teachers know that, oh, wait, I can't go on to the next concept because half the class doesn't understand this. Right. And that's where that's valuable. Totally. Because our teachers can say, okay, we're going to revamp or we're going to spend the next two weeks refocusing back on division so that by the time you guys get to fractions, you, you'll understand it. Exactly. So, Or heaven forbid, algebra. Right. Exactly. Algebra is probably going to be a struggle if you didn't master multiplication. That's exact. That's exactly right. And so that's how, that's really, truly how Sydney kind of looks at test scores. They are important to us because it just gives us um, a, a place to understand what we still need to work on. Well, let's shift back to your role as vice chair of the governing board. I would imagine there's a lot of people listening that are like, what is a governing board? So would you share with us a little bit about like, what is a governing board? And what is your role on that board? Sure. So um, I love charter schools because um, I'm an entrepreneur by nature. And so what I, where I see charter schools fitting in the education landscape is they are kind of the, uh, the opportunity to try new things in education and to see what works. And what a governing council does is we effectively act as the school board for that particular charter school. So we have a president of a board, we have a vice president, and then we have several members based on um, what your charter kind of dictates. Um, and what those people do is we actually set policies for the school. Now, for those who don't know, charter schools are still public schools in New Mexico. So they are funded by the state of New Mexico. So they are free to all students. So we still have to follow all of the rules set forth by the public education department and the secretary of education. And we still follow all of the same guidelines, statutes, all of that. But what our governing council can do is based on what our charter is, we set policy for the school. So for example, our charter is STEAM, you know, the science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. And so when we set policy for the school, we make sure there's always an art component to our school's curriculum because that is in our charter. So we have control over policies for the school. Now, to be fair, during COVID, we had a lot of parents asking us if because we had we have autonomy with our governing council, if we could do things like not enforce the mask wearing policy. We could not do that. 
because that was a rule set forth by the public education department and we follow the PED's rules. So there's still a fine line between what governing councils can do and can't do. But the thing I like about it is when our principal comes to us and says, hey, I really want to spend money on this particular thing. It's our job as the governing council to say, "Okay, does this match our charter? Does this match our mission? Um, How are we going to get the funding? Like when we're talking about some of the federal funding that was coming with COVID, you know, we had a really interesting discussion at the governing board level about, okay, so if this isn't going to go, going to be continuing funding, if this is going to be one-time funding, what are some of the best uses for this money for the school to do some long-term maybe capital projects? Um, so that's the role that the governing council plays. It's really like our own little school board that governs the policies of our charter school. I appreciate you explaining that because I think there's so many misconceptions about mm-hmm. charters and we'll cover those shortly. But one is just like, Who's in charge? And it's the governing board. And also, one of our main jobs as the governing council is we hire and fire the head of school. And I think that that's really important. We do not hire and fire teachers. We do not deal with the day-to-day operations of the school. Our job is really to hire and fire the principal, the head of school, whatever you call them. Um, And then it's our job to support that person to do the operational work. Which is identical to how school boards function as well, right? They're one of their biggest, they have, I think, two main priorities one, hire and fire your superintendent, and two, set the budget. That's right. Set the and budget. Policy and stay out of the day-to-day operations. So that's, that's right. I think there are obviously that similarity between the traditional district space and the charter space. I think because um, the charter space is anchored in that charter document, right? it's a little bit easier at times to say like, okay, we know what our core mission is because you had to spell it out so clearly Very in true. getting your school approved. That's open. right. That's right. So what do you think other schools and school districts could learn from Sydney? So, I mean, I think there's a, I mean, there's a lot of things I think about our model that works, particularly in the middle school, frankly. Um, we have a pretty strict disciplinary policy, um, and there are, you know, I think it has resulted in not only high test results, but we have very little um, really bad behavior that you see in a lot of middle schools. Um, there's, um, you know, we, we just come down on that behavior pretty quickly, and because it's a small enough environment that, you know, it's that information gets shared very quickly and students get disciplined very quickly. Sometimes, you know, I think parents can get frustrated because they're like, well, no, that wasn't my kid. Well, you know, at the end of the day, like, we're, tr- we're trying to keep the rest of the school safe, and so we come down on stuff pretty quickly, pretty hard. And I think that that has worked well. I think also... In looking at like our and looking specifically at test results, I think one of the things that Sydney has done extraordinarily well is really this individualized instruction and meeting kids exactly where they're at. I think that our our teachers are masterful, but I also don't think it's rocket science. I think they look at each student and like again, we have the assessments, so we know where kids struggle and where kids don't. And I think spending a lot of time in thinking about refining their teaching approach with individual children is one area that Sydney has done masterfully. And I think that that's something other schools could learn from. I do think that we um, benefit from a a small school size. We have one class per grade. We have less than 200 students in the entire school. That allows us to have a lot of influence and control over what's happening um, and the culture in our school. And I think that building that culture is something that Sydney has worked on for the first 18 years, and then we worked incredibly hard when once we were about all back in the building after COVID to build this culture of a family feeling. And I think that other schools could really learn from Sydney's ability to create this 
cherished environment where all kids are uniquely enjoyed and supported for who they are. And I think that that is something that's really special about Sydney. Absolutely. Especially in the middle school years. I think those middle school years are just so (laughs) so challenging. So anything without, you know, just massive amounts of support and meeting kids where they are. Yeah. It's probably not going to work so well. Um, Okay. So you know as well as I do that, and we talked about this a little bit, New Mexico schools have struggled and continue to struggle to get the results that I think people like you and I and so many people in New Mexico know that we need to hit that next. It's not even just about the progress of our kids, which I know we both want, but also like the future of the state, the economy of the state, the the future governance of the state. All of these things depend on the kids in our classrooms today being really well prepared for whatever is next. So knowing that those struggles exist, what does what you've seen and experienced at Sydney, how does that inspire you to think about what's possible for New Mexico? I mean, I really, truly believe that all kids want to learn and all kids are are good learners, right? And so, and I think I've seen that at Sydney. I have three very different children who all attend Sydney and they're very different learners, right? And watching teachers um, really meet each of those kids where they're at and watching them help each kid grow and learn in different ways has been really amazing to watch. And I think all kids want that, right? Like no kid goes to school as a young child and thinks, I just want to hate this place, right? That's just not Mm -hmm. how kids are wired. And so I do think that, you know, I have hope that we can get New Mexico to a place where all kids are receiving um, not just equal education, but a good education, right? Where they're encouraged to be curious, where they love to learn, where they like to be in their environment. I mean, I truly think that that is possible. And I think until we get there, education is going to continue to be a struggle for us in New Mexico because kids inherently want to learn. They want to grow. They want to know things. And so I think we just have to continue to create these spaces that make that possible. And I think a lot of it involves us truly meeting the moment, right? When we only have let's call it 29% of kids reading proficiently, that means we have for years set kids up to learn things that they have not have the foundational skills to learn. And so if we're not meeting them where they are individually and Mm -hmm. figuring out what their individual gaps are and how we can backfill that knowledge, then those the impacts of those numbers are going to get exponentially worse until – they get a diploma and move on to their next thing, whether well, we've prepared them or not. That's exactly right. And the gaps just keep getting bigger and bigger. I mean, thing, everything, you know, I didn't quite understand new math. And I had a teacher explain to me how it builds on yep. each other. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And now I'm seeing it in my older kids. Like, it does. And so if they missed a critical piece in first grade, third grade is going to be really hard. And that's the same with reading. It's the same with grammar. It's the same with all subjects. And so, yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, and I... I struggle with, you know, at our school, you know, the, the idea of um, promoting kids because it's what is um, – because they're the right age or that kind of thing. And I, I think that's doing a disservice to our kids because I think at the end of the day it's really about having the skills and understanding and the knowledge and the content understanding and all that before we, before you move them to the next grade because all that stuff builds on each other. And it goes back to the environment that's created at the school. Right. If you have – a collaborative environment where kids feel loved and supported and like they are going to be set up for success, those changes in their trajectory, whether it's not moving on to the next grade or spending time in a different intervention room, you still just see kids supporting each other. They're not so much paying attention to, oh, this kid is different or this kid got held back because that's just not how the school is set up. And I, I felt that 
when I visited Sydney, and I felt it in a few other schools too, where they just every kid is getting what they need, so it's not weird That's or right. different when a kid is getting more of what they need. That's exactly right, and that and that has been um, one of the things that has been so beautiful to watch at Sydney. You know, I don't have an education background; I have a business background, and so to watch in the classrooms. I mean, you you could ask. You, it's really hard to tell who are the top performing students and who are the not the top performing students while you're in the classroom mm-hmm. because everyone is getting what they need and where they need to be and getting that one-on-one instruction um, throughout the day over the subject that they need help with the most, right? And that, I mean, again, I don't, you could even ask, you know, my, my kids, and I don't know if they could tell you, like, oh, yeah, that's the smartest kid in our class because everyone is smart in different ways, and that's one of the ideas that Sydney really perpetuates throughout all the grades is everyone's good at something or good at lots of things, and so let's celebrate those things, right? And I've, I've really appreciated that, watching my kids kind of learn from their peers in ways that they wouldn't normally. Yep. I love that. It sounds beautiful. I mean, it doesn't only sound beautiful. It is a beautiful thing to see yeah. if people are um, can stop by for a visit. So let's go back to charter schools overall. Sure. What do you think people get wrong about charter schools? You touched on some of the misconceptions earlier. Well, but- I want to reiterate, charter schools are free. Um, I mean, still in the community that I, in Roswell, you know, people think that, oh, how much you have to pay or, you know, what does it cost or who do I need to pay to get my kid in? Um, they're absolutely free. They're free to anyone that applies for the lottery. Um, I would say the second thing is, is that charter schools, at least in our case, we get accused of handpicking our students a lot of the times, um, which is what leads us to good test results. That's 100% not true by state statute. So by state law, we cannot handpick our students. Every kid has to be eligible for our lottery. So we do have a limited number of spots for students, but we literally pick names out of a hat. <laughs> and that's who gets into the school. I mean, there was I worked really hard to start an elementary school, and at the time I had um, children who would be going into first grade when the school opened, and there was a good chance that they wouldn't get in. And even my husband was like, oh, my gosh, I hope they get in. <laughs> um, but there was no guarantee. And, again, this is you know by state law, so we cannot handpick anybody. Um, and everybody is welcome um, to apply to be in the lottery. And I tell parents every year because you know now our lottery – there's, a, there's not many spots open for a lot of people who are interested, right? And I tell parents every year, keep submitting an application, keep submitting an application, and when that spot opens up, take it, even if it's in the middle of the year, even if, you know, you think, oh, my kid has some great friends in third grade. Well, yeah, but think about in sixth grade, right? Like, what school are they going to be going to at that point? Because that's the other misconception is that, oh, I got in this year, there'll be another opportunity coming up. For us at Sydney, because we have huge wait lists and small number of openings, um, when that when your child gets the phone call that they got in, I just highly recommend to parents take that spot at any mm-hmm. point during the school year, at any grade, take that spot. Because we also have a sibling policy. So if it's your older kid that gets in or even your younger kid that gets in, then your older kids get to go to the top of the wait list. So it's worth it to take the spot when it opens up. Totally agree, which is a good uh, moment to say to any parents listening, now is the time to explore your school options to figure out which schools you want to schedule a tour of so that when those lotteries open, because that right. season is right around the corner, That's right. you can enter your child into the lotteries for the charter schools you're interested in, uh, put in a transfer request for whatever district you're in if there's a different school option you want, or decide, hey, this traditional neighborhood school that's down the street that sends the bus every day is the best choice for my kid. But would highly encourage parents to utilize the coming months to start thinking through those decisions so you're ready for um, 
lottery season in the charter school and transfer season in your traditional district schools? No, I think that's a good point because I get a lot of um, questions at the beginning of the school year. Well, how do I get my kid in? And it really needs to happen, you know, the, the previous school year. Mm-hmm. And so starting that planning now, I think, is a really smart idea for all parents. And like I, like I said, I could tell people, just put in an application. Then if you get called, you can decide not to go. But exactly. if you never put in an, an, an application, you don't have that option. More options, better. Right. So – one thing that I didn't know mm-hmm. that I imagine a lot of people listening may not know, who is Sydney Gutierrez? So I love this question. So Sydney Gutierrez um, is actually a NASA astronaut who was from New Mexico. And Sydney is still alive. He um, was from Clovis, New Mexico. Um, and he, I believe, lives in Albuquerque now. And he oftentimes has co- oftentimes have come to visit the school and meet with our students. Even during COVID, he did a few Zoom meetings with our students. And for us, I believe when they were picking the name for Sydney Gutierrez, they were looking for inspirational New Mexicans. And at the time, we were a technology-focused school. And you know, we we came up we came across Sydney and the work he had done as a NASA astronaut, and we thought that would be a really amazing way to honor not only someone in New Mexico who's done some amazing things, but to also show kids that someone from New Mexico, you know, went on to be an astronaut. I think it's incredible, and again, I think fits so perfectly with what we're trying to do with the New Mexico Rising podcast, which mm-hmm. is to say, you know, the only thing that's limiting us is us mm-hmm. in that's New right. Mexico, and I think. You know, you and I have enough experience here to know that sometimes we get stuck in that cycle of maybe we can't, maybe we won't, maybe it's not possible. And so I think when I learned who Sydney Gutierrez was, I thought, like, number one, how did I not know this? That's so cool. It is so cool. And two, amazing. What an incredible example to kids about what is possible. Well, and I think, too, like, you know, I th- I do believe, truly believe, like, if, if kids can see it, then they can visualize it for themselves. And I think that is part of the idea behind it, too, is that if you can see yourself as Sydney Gutierrez, as the astronaut from New Mexico, then you can be it yourself. I love it. Well, I'm so excited that hopefully a lot of people, uh, as we grow our listeners, will hear about the incredible work at Sydney Gutierrez, because it is inspirational. I found it inspirational. They're I've, you know, probably had the privilege now of visiting over 100 schools yeah, across the state. I've been to a lot. Yeah. Um, and there are some when you walk into, they feel special. Mm-hmm. And they just, you, you can feel it. It's a special place, and Sydney is one of those places. So I hope that people listening got a little sense of an incredible school in, you know, no offense to Roswell, but I think people don't realize that outside of, Metro Albuquerque, there are still like these very cool, innovative, amazing things happening in other parts of the state. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Sydney is this really innovative, cool thing out in Roswell. It really is. And I really just have to give the credit to the teachers doing the work in the classroom. I mean, they're just incredible. I mean, when I walking through the school, like you just feel the energy. You, you pop in a classroom and you see, you know, kids doing, working in pods in different groups or spra- sprawled all over the floor reading. You know, it just, it does feel like a school where kids matter and that the teachers just invest so much of their time and energy and their love um, into these kids. And it's just really, it's really amazing. It really is special. So thanks for pointing that out. I appreciate you recognizing that. Of course. Send our thank yous to Joe and the rest of the staff as well. I hope you share this with them. But let's pivot to some, like, different questions. Not about Sydney, more about you. Oh, boy. Fun stuff. (laughs) Who was your favorite teacher? 
So my my favorite teacher was Mrs. Barton. She was my kindergarten teacher. She um, empowered me. I, I can be a little bit of a bossy boots, but no. that's not what we – no, it was leadership, leadership, leadership skills. Yep. I have leadership skills. And she was the first teacher – and, you know, it was kindergarten, but I had been in preschool pr- prior. She was the first teacher to help me channel that in an appropriate way and help me understand that maybe I didn't need to be the boss of all the other kids. Maybe I could just be the boss of myself and – by doing that, I could be a leader. So she was my favorite. I think I saw her, oh gosh, like 20 years later, and I recognized her immediately. And I was like, Mrs. Barton. <laughs> she was like, oh my gosh, Yassine, you're so grown up now. But um, she was really inspirational. And she did. She helped me channel my little personality into a productive personality. And um, you were being incredibly humble, a very productive <laughs> personality. Um, okay, what's your go-to order at a New Mexican restaurant? Rebos Venturos with red and green. I mean, that is like, you can't go wrong. And I mean, rarely can it get messed up. Although I have, I've realized that, you know, I've been in Mexico for almost or about 20 years now. And I realized I really, really was true New Mexican when I just wanted to have red chili on everything <laughs> instead of adding green chili. But with my way of us rancheros, I like both. That's true. That does happen. No, I it feel happens. like you make a shift towards red, like the older you get. Yeah, and then you get really specific about what kind of red you like. Oh, yeah. We, that's a whole, we could have a whole, <laughs> whole podcast, podcast episode on. about that. Yes. Uh, what song do you listen to when you need motivation? Oh, that's a really good question. Or when Danielle was here, I asked when you're like hyping yourself up for a meeting, mm-hmm. which I guess those could be two different songs. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, this is kind of a hard question. Um, <laughs> I would say, oh, gosh, we listen to a lot of Taylor Swift at our house. <laughs> so I would say that we kind of listen to um, a lot of her songs on repeat. And it will, I mean, I do drive a carload of kids to school in the morning, and we put on Taylor Swift and the whole car is singing, and that gets the whole car, like, hyped up. So I would have to go with just a Taylor Swift song. I feel like the man would be high up on your Taylor <laughs> yes, Swift. Yes, yes, yes. Well, that, and there's just, I mean, and it's funny because I have boys and girls in the car and everyone gets really into Taylor Swift. Yeah. Yeah. Even people that say they don't. They I, do. Exactly, exactly. Honestly, I don't consider myself like a huge Taylor Swift. Like, mm-hmm. I like her music. I yeah. enjoy it. But every year in my Spotify wrapped, mm-hmm. she's always like top five. Yeah. I'm like, how did that even happen? Yes, exactly. So I would say that that's definitely the hype music these days. Okay. Second to last question because I'm going to add one. Okay. What's your hope for education in New Mexico? My hope for education in New Mexico is that, A, and I don't want to just say, like, get off the bottom of these lists, right? Like, I really hope that we can do a deep dive into um, what what our schools are doing and what our teachers need in order to best serve our students. I feel like we are not supporting our teachers, and it's not just about paying more. It goes to a whole host of different ways to support our teachers and encourage them to um, be the professionals that they are. And I really hope that in the next five years we can get this figured out because I really have some concerns about um, the future of our state if our education system doesn't improve. Totally agree. So one thing that we didn't get to talk about that I always enjoyed talking to you about, and I thought of it when I asked you what your favorite New Mexican uh, dish is, Mm -hmm. but you have an awesome family um, history mm-hmm. with your parents. Oh yeah, and so you've been exposed to lots of different things, and mm-hmm. I would just love for you to share a little bit about that because I think sure. oftentimes we don't recognize we can be too deficit mentality about certain things, mm-hmm. and I think we forget to acknowledge like the assets of our individual backgrounds and mm-hmm. upbringings and yeah. different. Like I, I think I was reading your one-on-one with the journal mm-hmm. or in business first. And mm-hmm. they asked um, about your favorite food. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot from that. And so <laughs> I just 
want you to chat a little sure, bit Sure, thanks. Um, so my dad's originally from Iran. So he immigrated to the United States and went to college. He met my mom, who is um, a, a Catholic girl from Chicago. So they met in the 70s and got married, and they're still married today. And so I always joke I was raised in this very intercultural household because <laughs> um, I was definitely bridging the gap between um, the way my dad was raised, the way my mom was raised, and I was the oldest sibling. So um, a lot of the Little things like, you know, spending the night at a friend's house. Well, in certain cultures, like it's always at cousin's house, right? Well, we didn't have any family in the town I grew up in. So um, just those kind of things were always a struggle or a initial fight, I guess, with, with my parents trying to navigate that. Um, we grew up eating traditional Persian food. My dad is an amazing cook, and he taught my mom how to cook. So that's what we grew up eating. And so um, that was really special. And now when I cook for my kids, you know, we do eat a lot of Persian in my house because for me, that's my way of kind of showing the culture and mm -hmm. translating it to my kids. Um, so my parents were, you know, they're still married and they um, actually retired to Albuquerque and are loving it here. And they really love New Mexico, which has been really fun to kind of share the state that I adopted 20 years ago with them now. Um, but they're, yeah, the, the cultural thing was really interesting as a child. And it has been um, a, a big part of who I am. And when I look at, for example, the different cultures in New Mexico, you know, I had never lived in a minority majority state before. And so having the different cultural lens that I grew up with, I think has helped me understand a little bit about the Hispanic culture here in the state. And that's been really neat and special and unique, um, although I don't speak Spanish. And so <laughs> that's always been a challenge. Um, but but no, I, I really I really had this interesting upbringing and I'm, I'm really grateful for it because my, my parents really did a good job of, of, of explaining Persian culture to us us and demonstrating it in our everyday life so well thank you for sharing that with us any persian restaurant recommendations yeah um there is one off of i-25 and i let me the name I if you think of it okay I'll come back to all right you might have to add it later because i don't know oh, we'll I put it in the show notes perfect we'll put it in the show notes um, i think that's a thing we can do. um but their food we'll is really their food is really good and they they have um they celebrate no Ruse, which is the persian and uh, new year and that's always really fun so i love that yeah well thank you for sharing that yeah. i just um knowing you and having had the privilege of meeting your parents <laughs> i just feel like it's so wonderful to get a full sense of who people are and a lot of times that comes from how they grew up and who yeah. their parents are and what their culture is. So thank you for sharing that with oh, us. Thank you for and thank you so much for being here. I mean, um, you are, I'm on the governing board of a charter school. It is time intensive. You could be doing a lot of things with your time. Um, and you're choosing to do that. And so I want to thank you for your dedication to Sydney. Um, but more importantly, what we said earlier, just for you and everyone at Sydney being an example of what is possible for New Mexico kids, whether it's in Albuquerque or Roswell or Farmington or Gadsden, mm -hmm. um, just being a beacon of hope and a beacon of excellence. I think it's really, really important, and I'm so grateful. Well, thank you. And really, I mean, I, in my mind, there is no better way to transform your community than starting with education. That's the perfect way to segue <laughs> into our education updates to round out our episode um, as we did in our first episode, at the end of each episode, we'll, we will highlight any relevant education news that we think you need to know. I got a little caught up there. I said episode a lot in one sentence. So anyway, we'll end each episode with highlights about what's happening in education across the state. So today, in case you missed it, New Mexico high school graduates will no longer need to demonstrate competency to receive their diploma through the class of 2024. So Traditionally, in New Mexico, by law, students have to meet their credit requirements, but also demonstrate competency 
sometimes through an assessment, and if not through an assessment, through a different demonstration of competency, to be eligible to graduate. That requirement was relaxed through COVID, and it was recently announced that that will continue to be relaxed through the class that graduates in the spring of 2024. So um, more to come around that, I'm sure. Secondly, we got our first peek at the Public Education Department's education proposal. So the PED, as presented to the Legislative Education Study Committee, requested a $4.3 billion budget, which is a 9% increase from the current year budget. That budget proposal includes a 4% pay increase for all school employees, $261 million to increase instructional time, $3 million to increase principal salaries by $3,500, and $56 million for the hiring and training of hard-to-fill positions. So I think it's always important to say, this is just a proposal, people. Don't get too excited about any of these numbers. Things can change a lot during the legislative session. But this is the proposal being made at, um, at this point in time by the Public Education Department, and they will present their budget to the Legislative Finance Committee later this week. This is coming soon. New Mexico Kids Can, we are launching um, a new website that will have a report and an interactive map that will allow everyone to see the proficiency rates in math, uh, early literacy, English language arts, and science for their school and district. And you can look at that um, data broken out by demographics, by student subgroups. You can see how English learners, for example, are meeting proficiency benchmarks in Farmington or in Gadsden. And so you can compare. Um, but most importantly, we are encouraging everyone to check out this new resource and look at your school. Where do your kids go to school? When was the last time you got to see what those proficiency rates were in any subject? And so you can find all of that information at our website, which is nmkidscan.org. And in the top menu, you're going to choose uh, research and resources, and it'll be listed under 2022 student achievement. So there's a report and the interactive map, and we would love to hear your feedback about both of those tools. So that's all we've got for you today. Thank you so much for joining us. And please don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can follow us on social media at NMKidsCan to catch all the latest education news and hear about opportunities to use your voice to create change. Oh, and don't forget, check out our education news site for all the latest education news at nmeducation.org. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.